0: Hello and welcome to episode 118 of the 1099 for the week of November 6th, 2017. I'm your host, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is a podcaster, video game critic, and tech guru is the best term I came up with, seen C- on CNET and the Giant Beastcast, Jeff Bacalar. Jeff, how are you doing today?
1: What's going on? How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. Uh, first off, let me congratulate you on this. Of all the Beast Cast crew I've talked to, which you are the missing piece. You were the final piece of this puzzle. You're the only one whose Wikipedia page immediately came up when I was Googling you. So, congratulations oh, really? on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Immediately, I was like, oh, you have a Wikipedia page, which I don't think, I think like Vinny and Alex, they have like the giant bomb pages, but they don't actually have individual Wikipedia pages. So, you should be bragging about that more. I'll be giving you ammo for the future. Um, and something that also stood out to me, and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. So, I'm going to unfortunately make you feel old again. Uh, you've been at CNET since 2007. So, happy 10 year anniversary. <laughs> I know I I, I started out with a really really high high and then we're gonna go a little low and uh you know it's we'll hit a middle ground at some point uh you
1: know it's okay I just start all my podcasts by crying
0: That really should be your staple every single Friday for the Beast Cast 2, just immediate
1: too many emotions. Break uh, out into tears. That's that's going to be the plan moving forward. <laughs>
0: that's how you get the downloads. Uh, when you first joined CNET back in 2007, it, maybe it's a hard thing to think about now, but did you ever think your job would evolve to what it is today? Has this felt like kind of a logical progression or have things, including the industry, changed so much that you're like, how the hell did I get here?
1: Ooh, that's that's heavy. I'm
0: starting heavy just right off the bat. You already cried, so I thought I was open to do this.
1: Right. The next step is coming to terms with what you're actually talking about. <laughs> um, no, it's a good question, man. I, I feel like uh, no, I did not understand what my path was going to be at CNET, and that and that I guess was part of the plan. Um, I didn't obviously want to do. Well, let me walk it back a little bit. I was hired to. Uh, review home theater equipment. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, I was uh, more of an enthusiast, you know, when I started, and I had written a bunch for some real shady startup blogs and a bunch of junk uh, on the internet that was around in, like, the early 2000s. And that's sort of, like, where I um, started to understand... Uh, what writing on the Internet was like com- compared to writing for, you know, uh, a newspaper or a magazine, which I did a little bit of in, in high school. But I I got hired to do home theater stuff. And in the back of my mind, I was like, look, I, I just wanted to move out of my parents house. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I, I had to get out of there. So I was like, look, I I did a lot of freelance stuff out of college. Did a lot of production stuff But I had enough Of a little bit of a connection uh, With my writing while I was in college That I was like Let me try and parlay this into something That I can do Uh, And it wound up being seen it And obviously I was super familiar with the brand And I was a fan And you know my My point of view going in was like Let's see where this can go You know let's see And you know on the I remember during the interview process They were like Do do you play games? And I was like Yeah I play games (laughs) I do that, and it quickly became obvious that, oh, I, that's something I could lean into once I once I started there. And I know I only answered like one twelfth of your question. No, but... it's
0: fine. I usually pack it with way too many questions anyway, so you can only get to like one by the end of it. So it's you're totally fine. I, and I think we probably did similar things where, like you said, in college, you're writing, you're doing freelance afterward, you're testing that out, and then suddenly the opportunity arises. But... The the industry has changed in in general. You you have to be on camera. You have to podcast. You have to do different things beyond just writing. Do you have a preference now for what you do? Like if you are during your week, okay, I'm going to write this review. I think you just did a um the the Super Mario Odyssey review, and then you know you're doing the bot the, the Beastcast on Thursdays, which come out on Fridays. But you're also on camera at different points. Is there is one of those things that stands out as like, oh, this is my favorite style of thing to do?
1: Yeah, I think it's. I think being in front of the camera is something I've always really enjoyed doing and I'm at the point now where a lot of that is being asked of me and I'm getting to do some stuff that maybe I couldn't do, you know, even two years ago. So I, I really enjoy doing that. My, you know, I absolutely love podcasting. It, it, radio was a passion of mine uh, since I, you know, was was eight years old. I mean, I had always, um, you know, kind of like made my own radio shows with like a boom box. Remember those old, oh, yeah. uh, it was like Iowa, those old Iowa boom boxes <laughs> that had like a front facing shitty little microphone yep. that you sort of it was just like, oh, I'm a DJ now, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would do stuff like that. That was always something that fascinated me. Uh, I did some of it in college and I also, um, you know, uh, I also tried to do it as much as I could uh just for myself and I think like having the four o four was like that great kind of outlet right when I started and that and that is something I always love truly doing and that's why you know after four oh four ended I was like well you know my podcasting energy will now be focused on, on the BeastCast. Um but yeah I, I I like having my fingers in everything. I like uh I like being in front of and behind the camera. I like um you know I like I like figuring out stuff. I like logistics. I like you know, producing, I like understanding like, well, we want to do this. So how, how are we going to make this happen? How are yeah. we going to wrap our heads around that? Um, you know, I like to be like a grease man. I like to, <laughs> to, to figure it all out. So that's, you know, I, if I had to pick a first couple of loves, it would definitely be the, the production and the podcasting, but I'm happy to try everything out.
0: Even if you do gravitate toward that on-camera stuff from time to time, and like you mentioned, you've done it for a long time, you've done podcasting for a long time, how long did it take you to actually feel comfortable being on camera and even being on TV? Because again, I I hope the Wikipedia article hasn't led me astray. You had moments on Attack of the Show and All Things Considered, which when maybe in the moment you feel comfortable with it, and you're like, oh, this is fine. But did you have any internal, oh, shit, there are a lot of people watching right now moments where you felt uncomfortable?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, even when I st- still do the CBS stuff, I think for, you know, I'm cool on the ride over and I'm, and I'm really calm. And, and I think I come off as a well-composed individual when I'm on camera, but there's always maybe like a four-second butterfly that, that kind of, you know, starts ticking and then quickly expires. But there is that little bit of a jolt where it's like, all right, I'm looking down the barrel of that lens. <laughs> <laughs> I better not have like a freeze up moment now, but, uh, you know, it took me a while to be comfortable doing that. It took me a while to be comfortable reading a prompter. Um, but, you know, thankfully I've been afforded those opportunities at, at CNET to really, you know, complement the production stuff. I did study in college and I was able to really kind of hit the ground running and almost felt like I was really well uh, equipped to, to, to handle that kind of stuff. Once I uh once I started doing it doing it uh much more frequently at CNET and CBS, so it took I think the podcasting stuff took me a while to really find my footing, mm-hmm. but um you know I I I really love doing it and feel super comfortable now.
0: I think it does take a while to kind of find maybe your voice or your style with podcasting, but there's always that barrier of like, look if I fuck up as long as you're not doing a live podcast like we can edit this stuff we can fix this we can redo things i know i'm not someone who's been on a lot of on-camera live shows but if we're going back to high school josiah and talking in third person um i did theater for a while (laughs) and i remember those moments every time i was on stage it was like the less i thought about it the more i was like oh this is fine this is normal but the moment we're like oh, wouldn't it be bad if I forget my line right now? And that's when you start like overthinking things and going way too into it. And I talked to um, Lucy James, CBS's, CBSI's Lucy James about <laughs> kind of her on-camera stuff. And one of the things she mentioned that I thought was interesting was kind of understanding how to take those edits about your on-camera self. It's, it's different than when you're a writer, if you... Do something too much while in your writing, you know, you could fix it, and you're not really that offended by it. But if someone looks at you and says, "Like, why are you doing that neck thing? Or why are you twitching like that? Or why do you keep saying this certain thing?" Were there any physical or vocal oddities that you had early on, or maybe still deal with that people have pointed out that were (laughs) kind of difficult to take because it's just directly judging how you look or how you act instead of how you write?
1: That's funny. Well, uh, yeah, it's funny you bring that up. I feel like early. Early on, super early on, before anyone could sort of, I guess, recognize or, or understand like the kind of person I was, uh, I would and still do get uh, all the time. Hey, man, why do you always look so stoned? <laughs> and That's not the worst
0: thing in the world. That's not that bad of a critique, I
1: guess. No, it's it's not the worst. But for someone who's trying to uh, command... Even the slightest morsel of authority, yeah, and not uh, stoned. It's like, why am I listening to Jim Brewer from Half Baked (laughs) about important technology shit? Like that guy can't know anything about this. He's, you know, he's under the influence. It took a really long time for people to just be like, "Oh wait, you're not stoned. That's just what. That's just what you look like." So that was something that was uh, honestly a thing that happened a lot that I was sort of just like, no, uh, okay, I'll try and not look stoned. I don't know what to do. Like, I can't fix that. Man. Yeah. That was, it was a serious thing for a while. People were just like, you can't come into work stoned. She's was like, just, like I'm, not. Just I'm review, not
0: like vape rigs. You should lean all the way into it and actually just start reviewing like different strands of weed. I feel like that could be Which, the next step for you.
1: That would that's the thing now. Yeah. Right. It's like, like
0: if your face automatically has a, if you automatically have stoned face, then this is your calling. <laughs> I think someone's trying to tell you something.
1: <laughs> it, so It was like it was that it was. Um, uh, and then a lot of people were like, hey, man, sometimes you sound too much like a New York, New Jersey guy. You got to stop doing that.
0: How do you stop doing that?
1: I don't know how you stop doing that, but I don't don't think it's too bad. When I get really, really heated, I think it comes out a little bit because it's like I'm just yelling at someone in traffic. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I I think I've uh, been able to wrangle that down to a more non-regional delivery.
0: Yeah, no, I think so. And I think when it's once someone tells you, sometimes you can obsess over it and you overthink it and you just stop being yourself because you're like, oh, I don't want to suddenly go back into this certain dialect or the certain way I talk. But I think, I don't know, I think that adds character to it. I think if you get angry on the Beast cast at Vinny or jokingly angry and you start going into that, like that's that's fun the more worked up i get about something the more my voice goes from like deep radio voice to like high-pitched you know squealing so i feel like that's just part of it you gotta like you work through that shit and it totally works out in the end yeah
1: you have your squeal and i have my uh my my old school uh new jersey slash brooklyn accent
0: everyone has their (laughs) thing Everyone has their thing that makes <laughs> them <original>. thing <laughs> And there's always going to be that person who thinks it's bad and that person's objectively wrong. Uh, speaking of, well, I guess more subjective things than objective things, uh, something I talk on this podcast about a lot is games criticism. I wrote for Kevin Van Ord for a long time at GameSpot and Dan stapleton and IGN, and I really enjoy where games criticism is going. Maybe not where it's entirely at yet, but. Uh, let's go way too big question early in this podcast and I'm going to expect you to answer fantastically anyway. What do you think is missing from current video game criticism that you'd wish you'd see more of? Do you look at maybe movie criticism or book criticism, music criticism, or even tech stuff? Like you deal in that realm so much, see what other writers are doing and say, man, we should do more of this in game reviews.
1: Um. No, I mean, I think it's a beautiful thing that, games can be viewed upon from an infinite amount of angles right like i think it's super rad that uh this medium allows people to express themselves when it comes to criticism it's a multi-dimensional multi-faced sort of you know beast and i think you know i always used to compare games criticism to movie criticism you know book uh, and tv sort of uh criticism but i think you know games definitely stand on their own um, but i think what's cool about it is that you can view it from all these different angles and i think it's really a a wonderful thing that we have that we're able to do that i don't have any problems with it Would i like to see more sort of thought-provoking stuff um, you know revolve around our medium yeah that that'd be great for me like that's what i want to hear i i want to balance you know and i think like i think uh the angle at which you know sets like waypoint look at it is is really uh you know thought invoking and and really sort of powerful stuff and i dig what they do over there and you know i think some of the youtube community that that makes content about you know, gaming and and game culture is, is pretty great too. I just think it's great that we're able to sort of pioneer that more so maybe than film or TV. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, it's, things have definitely changed since I've started doing it. Um, I, I always am wondering, are we in the, are we in a transitional period? Like, will the dust ever settle? And, the more years that go by, and the more I ask myself that question, I've come to the conclusion that it will just forever be in a state of transition. I think
0: you're right. Like, I, I thought the exact same thing where I'm like, are we swinging really far into the culture direction because we started out so product focused? Is going to be back in the middle, or is it going to keep evolving? as games themselves evolve. And I've brought this example up multiple times. I remember talking to Jeff Kirstman in the podcast and, you know, he was the the game spot with reviewers tilt, where essentially the score only moved a little bit based on what the reviewer thought, but the the rest of it was kind of You know, the shooting works. It looks good. And here's almost, it wasn't an objective review, but it was borderline that, which now we're in the other direction where you might read a review that doesn't even talk about what the game looks like or the story. It wants to go into these certain themes that that individual reviewer thinks defined it. Uh, When you, working at CNET, which is maybe a site that when people go to it for like tech coverage, they expect product reviews. They expect, does this 4K TV you know do what i want to do does this phone do what i want to do do you ever when you're reviewing games feel like you almost need to follow that rubric where you're more product focused than looking at the cultural aspects of it is that something that you're encouraged to do or used to doing or am i a little bit off base there
1: no i think you're 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 there i think like When I first started doing it at CNET, they were sort of like, well, this has, you know, this has to come from the point of view is should someone buy this? Mm -hmm. Right. Is it worth their time? And I guess ultimately that's the the takeaway people are trying to get when they read a review anyway. But it was definitely much more leaning into the consumer, um, you know, advocate point of view. And, you know, I think maybe that wasn't a directive, but that was definitely a theme because of what the main purpose of CNET was and still is. Um, but I think I've also been allowed to sort of exercise a little bit of freedom in how I approach the game stuff now. Um, and you know, being able to find a voice in there isn't always uh, a sort of like clear cut endeavor. There's not a very, you know, uh, binary sort of like oh you have to write it this way you have to write it yeah. or, or you have to write it that way um but yeah i think it's been an interesting sort of thing to take a step back and say well what's really changed over the over the years in, in writing about games for cnet and i think the most you know the thing that's that stands out to me is having the time and effort to putting that time and effort to find a voice and and how that's sort of maybe deviated from what CNET originally sort of is uh and, and watching that, you know, come into play. Like what what does that look like? Because a lot of the things that we do now on CNET is not what we did, you know, ten, five, even three years ago. So um, you know, it's all this sort of interesting thing to watch evolve. And, you know, yeah, the the game's point of view is is definitely a much smaller portion of what that Site does, but um, you know, it's been cool to sort of be able to spearhead that.
0: Yeah, it's fun to see all the different evolutions because I agree with you that there's no one right way to review a video game. There's probably a couple of wrong ways. There's probably a couple of reviews out there where I'm like, no, this is bad. Like, this is not a good way to look at video games, but it's fun to see the people who still look at it as like, no, this is a product and like our audience is looking for, do I want this thing? Does it do what I want to do? Does the new Call of Duty feel like Call of Duty? And add the features I want but then again you can look at and it's almost unfair just to keep bringing up Austin Walker because I've done it so many times you look at that nobody likes that guy uh, I know what what a jerk but like there's that like when I was writing at GameSpot and uh, we were like writing reviews at the same time and then I saw him on pace with like the Battlefield Hardline review talk about police brutality I'm like no one's doing this like this is this is interesting I like this and maybe it's not not everyone's gonna like that review some people just want to know if that shooting feels good and it's satisfying and if after you know work when they take the dog out and make dinner and they have an hour or two to themselves can they just play this game and have fun and turn their brain off but you know you need those people who are turning their brain all the way on and looking at it in that way other than austin and i know i took away the easiest answer here are there any writers that stand out in terms of the games criticism they're doing anyone who you look at and maybe even if you already play through an entire game and have your set opinions you want to read that person to see where their head is at with the game
1: yeah, I mean, it will, real quick just to go back on on the point you just made. I think um, you know, I think what you said really explains why no one should really ever read just one review. I think um, you know, I think there are so many different angles and 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 different sort of, you know, colorings that come from, you know, what happens when a game embargo drops, right? Like what is that initial sort of you know uh um sort of you know ripple effect like wh- I, it, wrapping your head around that i think is probably the toughest thing that enthusiasts and people who just want to get you know, the sense of what a game is, that to me is a really sort of difficult thing to do. And I'm always wondering like, what is the best way? Where is that service that says, okay, this game came out, there's 7,000 reviews, there's 30, uh, you know, pieces on the cultural impacts of this game. And there's, you know, 4,300 YouTube videos. <laughs> Good luck. Yep. You know, like take this life jacket, jump into the water. Um. So I think that's like a really tough thing that, people are sort of faced with and i'm always you know looking for like well how do we better manage that um but you know uh who do i read i mean i uh, i try and read everything i can like you said uh, obviously what austin and, and 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 patrick and you know and danielle are doing over at waypoint uh you know on a personal level i think is is very important and i'm always uh very frequent on that site uh you know obviously uh I read Polygon a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I try and talk and listen to everyone. You know, obviously we have Giant Bomb and Game and uh, GameSpot in house, and as much as I don't like those people, I'm forced <laughs> to read their stuff, uh, so that's very important to me. But yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I would say like I would I would hate to single out writers. I try and read as much as I possibly can. Um, because I like to know, I like to take the temperature. I like to see where everyone's coming from. And I, I know that's sort of like a no brainer answer, but, um, you know, I think it's when you say to yourself, well, I don't like that site. I'm not going to read those guys. Yeah. Uh, that's where you sort of get into a little bit of trouble.
0: That's, it's usually pretty silly too. Cause like there's so many different writers at any given site to just say like, I don't like IGN. You're like, well, maybe you don't like this person at IGN but a lot of people write differently even if you try to keep somewhat of a similar voice or similar parameters to how you write but there's a lot of different freelancers who kind of do their own thing and it is hard to sift through all the content about a game out there. It's hard to find maybe the people that you really enjoy on YouTube or the reviews like that and we do have sites like OpenCritic and Metacritic that do mm-hmm. compile all that but this was something I was also complaining about on Twitter yesterday because we just had this um, when we're recording this, we just had this major like embargo lift on Mario and Wolfenstein, mm-hmm. Assassin's Creed, and all of these AAA games getting you know high 80s and some high 90s, which is really crazy. There's a lot of good games out there right now, but it, it's funny the the culture surrounding AAA games reviews and Metacritic, uh, my Facebook and Twitter, and maybe I just am friends and follow the wrong idiots. <laughs> but like you see people talking on like Facebook comment chains saying like, "Ah, oh, well, Assassin's Creed is trash. It got an 84." Uh, and thinking about that, and like, as someone who's now, you know, I, I work as an editor and social media person for a development team, and you think about the number of hours and years someone puts up something, especially so like Assassin's Creed that you put like four years into, and you're like, you get all these great reviews, but some people don't like it, or at least they don't think it's perfect which is fine because we should use the review scale more but and you see an 84 on metacritic and you feel great about it then there's just these people on there like well wolfenstein has a 90 like mario has a 97 it's insane do you think our review scale and how we look at triple a game scores is a bit broken right now because we're often so terrified to use that entire scale right now an 84 for triple a AAA game makes it seem like a disappointment but in 84 in any other form of media or in games too, should be kind of a triumph, right?
1: Dude, I wish I was getting 84s in high school, man. (laughs) Are you kidding me? That's a solid B. That is a B. That is a, you're going to college. Don't worry. Uh, Yeah, it's all fucked up, man. I mean, and anyone who says it's not is uh, lying to themselves. I think you can't analyze this industry and it's weird strange relationship with that number and think that is a healthy relationship Um, so yeah it's all screwed up I I don't but at the same time uh, as much as I am quick to uh, criticize that I'm also not an idiot and I'm not gonna sit here and be like well there should be no scores anywhere no that's it you know that's that can't happen because business models it would destroy business models and that would destroy the economy of the internet uh it can't happen so i think what we can do is sort of educate ourselves and spread that message that might incite a bit of change i don't know if it will but it can't hurt um you know like me personally i i don't do scores for games cuz i i you know that's something I kind of also just magically get away with, and yeah, hope no you. one and hope no one notices. <laughs> this isn't being recorded. Yeah, don't right? say
0: that. Like, we'll, we'll we'll scratch this for the
1: record. Um, you know, I I I think am I do I hate scores with the passion? No, I understand why they exist. I also understand the way they are, where they aren't always what they appear to be, and you know it. There's a bit of needle threading you have to do with a with a with a very, you know, scrutinizing sort of eye and scrutinizing sort of point of view to to see through that. And I know not everyone's equipped to do that. Uh, That's that's an impossible task to ask of the entire Internet population. But I think uh, maybe perhaps that sort of stuff should not be. Uh, scrutinized with the uh, uh with in the in the amount it currently is, but again, yeah. I think that's wishful thinking slash uh, preaching to the choir here.
0: Yeah, and I. I don't think I would get rid of scores either. There is still that value. Again, when we go back to looking at some reviews as straight product reviews, which I don't hate. It's not the kind of review I usually write, but I don't hate it. Sometimes you just want to... You're Again, let's use Call of Duty for an example with Call of Duty World War II, uh, where you're just one of those people who's like, I just want to know if this is not a train wreck. I'm already probably going to buy this. I'm going to go to GameSpot. I'm going to scroll to that last paragraph. I'm going to read it. I'm going to look Mm -hmm. at the pros and cons. I'm going to get that score and I'm going to move on. And if you want to look at reviews as a service, which is absolutely partially what they are, Mm -hmm. that's totally fine being there. There are times where I'm in a rush and I see a Kotaku review, which I love a lot of the writing, a lot of the reviews they do there. And and Mm -hmm. like there is a, you know, is this worth buying? Kind of thing there, but sometimes you just like miss that score to scroll to scroll through and find and
1: right. How can I how can I sort a Kotako review? Yeah, how am I? What am I supposed to read this? Like you can't. This not be of me. filtered. There's at least
0: two thousand words in this. That's like two books. <laughs> like and you look at it that way, and I I get it. And the problem is I don't exactly know how to fix the review scale right now because I think on right. Metacritic, which I look at way too often. I think movies, it's like 60 and above is green, which is like the generally favorable or positive or whatever like that. And for games, it's 75 and above, which is so crazy that like yeah. if you see a 74 on, I don't know, the latest Gran Turismo, which I think it's probably around that right now, and it's yellow, immediately you think, oh, it's it bombed. And like that's that's your mental association with that. And it's similar with Open Critic, which I do like a lot. And I, I was in contact with those guys at some point when I was still reviewing, and you know, they had like my reviews on there, which I thought was cool, but I remember it's like there's like mighty and strong and all these different terms for it, and it's still kind of a broken system because anything when you start hitting that 74 range is seen as like a disappointment or not worth your time. And there's lots of games that I would give a 7 at GameSpot or even a 6 where I'm like, there's still ideas here that if this game, maybe if it's on sale or maybe if you're really into games like this, you should really give it a try. And some games are super hard to score in general. Like, how do you score Gone Home? Like, how do you score... How do, you t- how do you score Wolfenstein and then the next day it'd be like there's this game called Sunset that I reviewed which is like walking simulator ask for GameSpot that's like I think this is super interesting but you can't compare like this to a game where you're walking around shooting Nazis for 12 hours like it's right. just entirely different things so I don't know how we fix it. I think it needs to be fixed but I don't know if if one person starts you have to have other people fall in line otherwise it's going to make the problem worse and they're going to have even lower scores and no one knows what those even mean anymore.
1: It- you're you're totally right. There are some necessary evils in life, and I hate to, like, compare this situation, I guess you can call it. I mean, it's been a thing since the dawn of reviews, but, you know, like, there are just things in this world that don't fit perfectly, yep. you know? Like, renewing your driver's license. That's a bizarre thing that not everyone's really sure how to do, but it just happens. And, you know, closing on a house. Who the hell knows what really happens there? But that's just the necessary evil that has to happen, and I'm not saying we should just sit idly by and lay over and let it happen, but you know, I think it's more important to concentrate your efforts on things that truly matter. I, you know, look, Metacritic is a CBS uh, property, right? Um, oh, I didn't I, even think it, about that. Yeah, it's, it. you know, it. it obviously we're, we're completely independent mm-hmm. from, from them, but, you know, it's a part of the machine and I don't really know if there's a better way to describe it. Uh, You know, the developers and publishers, they, they take a certain amount of stock into that final number. Um, You know, it's this, it's this uh, weird dance that we all do. Um, But hopefully people who want a true uh, sampling of the entire landscape will make that effort to read as much as they can and you know take it all in and have those conversations and be a part of that conversation uh only then hopefully are they able to get a sort of fair shake about what is truly going on
0: yeah Yeah, absolutely. Reviews are weird. I think that's really the summary of what we just That's the takeaway, my man. Reviews are fucking weird. Reviews are weird, man. I love writing reviews and I don't do it anymore. But back in the day, like back in the day is like two or three years ago. So I'm not exactly. It wasn't that long ago. Uh, loved doing it and just kind of messing with it and seeing what comes out and what you can come up with. And again, I still love to read everyone's reviews and specific writers stand out.
1: So when you used when you used to do, you say you don't do it that much anymore. But like, how would you, you know, balance that? How would you walk that line?
0: It's a it's a damn good question. In terms of, well, for me, in terms of like when I was balancing the line between product review and creative stuff, where I was like, okay, how do I? The the more I wrote reviews, because I think when everyone starts, everyone reads game reviews before they write game reviews. Most people do, and you get used to that old school okay, it has to start with this summary, and then the second paragraph, almost always the story. Like, we got to talk about the story. We got to talk about the gameplay right after that. We got to do that. And you go in this formulaic thing, and the more I wrote, and the more I had smart editors kind of pushing me in the right direction, I would, for GameSpot especially, I would do that mix of like, yeah, this is partially product-focused, but I'm not going to talk about things that didn't stand out. I'm going to talk about the things that did stand out to me, the things that mattered, the things that made this unique. Um, And then suddenly the format changed for me where it wasn't this high school five paragraph essay where like here's my main three points here's my conclusion turn Mm. it in done please pay me uh turn in my invoice right now it became more of this is the important parts of this game to me and you dig more into that than to breaking it down like it is you know in hdtv Mm. Uh, and that's kind of how i did it but it would somewhat switch from outlet to outlet i was mostly ign and Gamespot. i did paste a little bit and paste magazine i think anyone who Mm ever wants to get into freelancing right now and they're like oh, i haven't really done much before i don't know what where i want to go paste is fantastic in terms of letting you kind of just run away with your ideas uh things that maybe would be features on other sites can be your review where you're going uh, jason concepcion who used to write for Grantland, is now writing for the ringer and does achievement oriented um he wrote a Metal Gear Solid 5, which I brought up multiple times this podcast, you know, quote unquote review, which was really Mm -hmm. just, here's this experience I had at this part of the game that I think represents what it is. And he didn't talk about exactly how the shooting felt or exactly what it looked like, but dug into this really intense moment he had with the game. And then afterward, I was like, all right, I got what I wanted out of this. I want to go play that game. And I do think there's like, that's what I like to do. But I think it's just one of those time and place where you're writing and who you're writing for. I, I usually would try to lean more in that direction. Um, but again, with a lot of where I wrote, I also understood like I can't just I can't by the end of this this review have someone be like, all right, that all sounds really cool. And that writing was fantastic, Josiah. But I have no idea what this game looks like. Like, I don't. is this a shooter? Is this a puzzle game? I cannot <laughs> tell from what you just said, which I've <laughs> 1000 percent done before.
1: No, that's, uh, you know, that's really insightful. I I, I feel like, you know, and, and we, I know I, I answered your question earlier about like, how has it all changed since I started doing it? And yeah. and listening to what you just said. Made me remember what it's sort of all been like, and and again, like I I gotta lead with the fact that I don't do as many game reviews as I used to. Uh, you know, I'm obviously more uh involved in a lot more that CNET and CBS does as a whole, and I think what I have noticed, even though like I said, I don't do it as much as I used to, I've noticed that maybe yes, in the beginning, things felt much more like a book report. Mm -hmm. Right. Where you were sort of, you know, you had a goal, whether whether or not the goal was, should you buy this or or convey what it's like to play this game? I think once you're able to really find your voice and, and for me, you know, I I love to talk and I try and get everything I write to almost sound like you're hearing me say it. And I know there are some people that say, like, well, that's got to be two different things, you know, conversation and and writing are two separate things. I try and find, like, that balance there. And I think, like, there was a point where my personality maybe took over more in what I was writing. And then it was from there where I was like, okay, I think I'm happier now, you know, Mm. looking over formula, looking over, you know, uh, the, the goal of the whole thing. Are you getting a vibe for, like, who I am and why I think this way about this piece of of of, of art like wh- i think like what you said really made me sort of realize like what the journey really has been in yeah. terms of that specific you know discipline for sure
0: especially since games media and you know criticism in general it's so much more personality based than it ever was before and i was joking before where it's like oh i hate ign and before maybe that made more sense if you hated ign reviews you can kind of give that blanket statement but now we do have Giant Bomb and Waypoint and different avenues like that. People care about the individuals writing the reviews. And now you can almost similar to the people you follow on Twitter because you like their opinions, you could follow certain reviewers because you like their style or you agree with what they say. Or if you don't agree, when you read the review, you get something out of it. And I think that came over time with acceptance of what reviews can be. And also um, earlier, Kevin Van Ord had tweeted something to the effect of you know, reading a lot of reviews and seeing a lot of words like oh this feels this seems and i think the more you write reviews the more you can replace those words with this is or instead of i think just saying this is what this is because this is your opinion and hopefully at this point if you've established some sort of credibility people know who you are and how you think about games you're not hedging there's that confidence in your criticism that hopefully comes through where this is what this is to me this Mm -hmm. maybe to you call of duty isn't this but for me this is what this reminds me of because of my life experiences because of my gaming experiences this is how this comes out and that's kind of the turn that i was really excited for and still i'm excited for in games criticism where you can see i feel like movies have probably done this a lot too where these certain things stand to certain people and that's Mm -hmm. why the idea of objective reviews is so stupid because i you know like this scene or this part of this game is going to be different for me maybe because i have this background i have this aspect of my life that changes how i see this and the fact i think once we accept that more and don't get immediately angry when someone doesn't like the game you like that's when these reviews are way more helpful and way more insightful uh, tevis thompson i've had in this podcast um, really smart critic who writes reviews that i disagree with all the time It's just like super low reviews on scores where I'm like, this is like my favorite game. And you have that gut reaction, you know, where you're like, no, but this is good and you're wrong. You (laughs) you almost become like that junior high kid arguing over like, you know, like Nintendo versus Sega or anything like that where you you take a side. But every single time I read those, even if I don't agree with it, it makes me think about it differently. It might reinforce what I think about it or it might... Change what I thought about it because I wasn't really thinking all the way through. I was just like so surface level with it and like that's what really excites me about what's out there is just kind of that personality-based stuff is coming through and again with the Austin Walker reviews like this is an Austin Walker review. I know where he stands in this stuff. I'm ready to read this. We might not be on the same page but like I'm excited that that stuff is out there.
1: Definitely. So Definitely. yeah, that's
0: again I could talk about game reviews for a long time. Something <laughs> I did want to talk about because this is actually something I don't know. How did the Giant Beastcast hosting spot come together for you because I remember listening to that early on and being you know been Giant Bomb premium subscriber for the longest time I've had everyone essentially on that site on this podcast and I remember hearing you and didn't know too much about you at that point point. and I was like I wonder how this came together and of course since then I you know not trying to butter you up too much but like yeah you know, I think you're a great part of that podcast I think you're a big part of why that works so how did it start
1: Well thanks man oh, you um How did it start? I don't know. No, um, (laughs) I just woke up and I was sitting there. Yeah, you were
0: suddenly in a podcast studio and you're like, I guess I'll just talk.
1: Here's a microphone. Let me do that. That's what happened
0: about an hour ago when you started talking to me, so I get it. (laughs) I
1: I knew uh, Alex um, through just being an East Coast, New York-based games journalist, and I knew that... Uh we we you know, we had a lot of friends in common and we would sort of uh you know, we weren't super tight, but I would see him at events and be like, Hey man, what's going on? Yada yada and we started, you know, becoming more friendly. And then I met Vinny and that whole crew at an E three. Oh man, when did they come to New York? They came to New York in fifteen? That sounds right. Maybe it was 16, fourteen, 15, yeah. something like that. Yeah. When I, the year before they came at E3, I met them, and obviously we're all CBS, so you know we're all huddled in that same press room that we have at uh, at E3, and there's a lot of like, you know, crossover, and and you know, when you know when we go to E3, it doesn't matter who you work for at uh, at at CBS, you're all GameSpot. Like they all, cause you know, it's all done from a managerial point of view. It's all filed under that same sort of umbrella. Um, you know, like when I go, my badge says GameSpot because GameSpot is like the leading sort of platform that's, that's weird there
0: though. I didn't, I didn't yeah, I th- that. yeah,
1: I think that's just like a logistical thing. I, I don't think so. anyone's trying to like pull the wool over anyone's eyes. I think it's just like that's how this production works. If those guys are coming to CES, it would just say it because that's sort of like the winning platform that that's there. I guess yeah. the most people there. Uh, anyway, that's more insider baseball. But anyway, um, <laughs> you know, I... I i just you know kind of got along with them and i think it was i hit it off with vinny a little bit and then when they came out to new york i remember they uh they they hit me up because i think i was the only one they knew in the office <laughs> even even you know uh, in, in the slightest bit of how you could know somebody and they i remember uh vinny being like hey uh jeff bagler right uh we met at e3 how you doing?" He said, Oh, you think you could show us around the place we're, we're moving in? And I was like, Yeah, I, I can, I can show you around. So I took one of our producers, uh, Mark Lasea with us, and we sh- showed them around the, the scene at New York office. And I think it was like at the end of the tour, we had kind of hit it off just in that hour spent together, uh, that Vinny was sort of like, Hey, we're going to do a podcast when we get out here. Do you want to, do you want to be on that? <laughs> And I and I and I know I'm sure he has like a slightly different you know memory of of how it all went down, but that's really it. And it was more of just like, oh, we know you know getting you into that podcast studio is going to be a logistical convenience. Mm. Uh, you know, at the time it was only the two of them. It was only uh, Alex and, and and Vinny. Were gonna you supposed be in to be that-
0: like permanent weekly guest or like a one of the rotating chair people? I don't remember.
1: So that was, always, that was definitely the thing. And I, th- you know, I think they kind of said that to me originally because, you know, at the end of the day, like you get along with somebody, but the second you sit down in the studio and start recording a podcast, it's like, well, this might not work out. <laughs> so I think, uh, Vinny had said the rotating chair just to maybe, uh, you know, take out a, a small insurance policy on, on myself and whether or not it was going to work out. And then that just sort of evolved into the big joke. I am still in that rotating guest chair you are Uh, technically i am i'm technically always warming up in the bullpen someone's always (laughs) someone's always possibly gonna boot me out but uh but yeah that's that's a long sort of uh way to explain it that's sort of how it happened uh but it wasn't like you know it wasn't something that I thought I would be doing for this long, and obviously I'm very grateful and, and uh, more than happy to to be a part of it. And I'm very appreciative to those guys for, for letting me do it. And uh, it's been a great thing.
0: And even if you have been on a bunch of other popular shows, and again with CNET and Attack of the Show and all these different things like that, was it almost jarring to see the type of support that the Giant Bomb community and audience in general can supply? Because I know just you know posting these types of podcasts every time i do one with you know i did one with vinnie and alex and abby and jeff and posting them on the giant bomb forums or the reddit like the passion behind that stuff is incredible i, I swear i owe vinnie more than he knows because it was after that episode that suddenly this podcast became like people knew about it because vinnie <laughs> was on it and it's funny to see it that way but for you over these last you know however long you've been doing this podcast has it kind of been incredible to see that response and that whole new audience getting to know you
1: yes i i i I, that is the most spot-on answer yes i can give you i had real i mean i experienced a lot of that in the sort of heyday of of my show that i was doing on cnet uh maybe back in like 2010 before twitter was really taking off or even around um So we had, uh, we definitely had fans, and we definitely had loyal people uh, following that show, and that was definitely a a surprising uh, shock. But when I sort of came into this thing that is Giant Bomb, I was taken aback, and I was really blown away. And I and like you said, you said you owe Vinny, I owe Vinny, (laughs) I owe Alex, I owe Jeff and Dan and all those and and that entire uh, crew um you know they the community is amazing um the amount of feedback and interaction and just love and support is really an awesome sort of feeling and i think that it's it's a beautiful thing that is a great community uh and you know i am just super super grateful and and stoked to be a part of it
0: and I'm not trying to get you emotional again, you go know, because you did a cry immediately when we started well, talking. That's today, how we bookend you know. shows. A I think that's the, the only way to crying. do this. Like the only way we're really bookend this is to get you to cry again. Uh, is there has there been any comment, you know, email, tweet, or let's say even a postcard uh, that's really stuck with you the longest? Like really stuck around, you still think about from time to time. I from. From doing the beastcast from that community, because again, I've gotten a lot of emails and stuff where you're like, "Holy shit, this has to be incredible to have this much support all the time." So, is anything kind of stuck with you?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, there's always story, like when you hear stories about, you know, uh, there's no other way to do it. Stories about tragedy and yeah. stories about, um, you know, people kind of at the end. Of, of their, you know, sort of emotional breaking point or whatever it is. I mean, those are really the stories that are super, super uh, compelling. And, you know, uh, like I said, we we definitely had a lot of that with 404 and, and people writing into us and sort of spilling their guts. And a lot of that continues to happen. And, you know, without singling out any specific story, but like you, you think of it, we've had it. Yeah. um and that's what i just find so um uh, powerful and and you know you really can't put into words how appreciative and and how much it means to have people share those kinds of stories cuz Cause, cause, you know that's that is not an easy thing to do you know to 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 lay it all out like that and to and to sort of be so transparent and disclose that to someone who's essentially a complete stranger yeah that's right amazing and you know every bit of you know every tweet for the most part every last email that comes in like we try and you know touch on everything and at least read everything and you know it's uh it's a very powerful thing and it's humbling and it's it's just it's just so awesome and you never in a million years could anticipate or expect to hear the things that we wind up hearing so you know i think that's <laughs> i think that's like sort of a good way to encapsulate some, the, the range of stuff that, that we hear. And, you know, um, I think there's times where, where it's, you know, a lot comes in and we take it for granted, but it's always very good to, and I try and do this and take a step back and sort of just be like, wow, that person's going through this. And that's really a sobering reminder of like how lucky we are to be doing what we're doing and how grateful we should be and continue to be for having such a, such a rad and, uh, and, and, you know, kind of loyal friendship with these people. It's, it's amazing.
0: Yeah. And it's cliche to say like, Oh, that makes it all worth it. But when you're just, you know, sitting in front of a mic or sitting around these group of friends and you're doing this kind of thing, you you could see the download numbers or you can see how many times people are sharing it. But when you actually get that response from these people who, like you said, are willing to open up in that way, it's. It's incredible. It's super surprising too, because again, you just you you don't think of it that way. You think you're just talking to friends or a few people, but then you get those responses, and like these people, you're technically strangers to them, but they feel like you are their friends, which is crazy. But that's like the the age we live in, where um you know not to get too bummer right now about like when Ryan Davis passed away, Jai Bomb. I I remember Mm I had never I had met him once at a Pax panel, but you know he didn't had he didn't remember me. Like I don't blame him; he didn't know my name. But I remember being like. This is incredible that we live in these times where I feel like I just lost a friend. And I think podcasting, yeah. you know, it's, again, cheesy to say, like, power of podcasting, but you become this weekly comfort to people, this weekly routine-based thing where every single week I listen to the Bombcast, every single week I listen to the Beastcast, and you get used to that, and you feel like you know these people. So if, like, those people are going through shit, you feel bad. So it's it's incredible. And, it's yeah, it has to be amazing to now be a part of, you know, the Beastcast and be a part of that Giant Bomb community where... You know, you have these thousands and thousands of people who just want to like know what's going on every single week with you. They care about their your opinion, and even if every once in a while they shit talk you on Reddit or Twitter or whatever, the majority of the people are great. And yeah, that's podcasting does that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, you get it. It's like you have a little family. You know, you have a. It's not a little family. It's a freaking massive family, right? You have, (laughs) you have this, and and that's really what it comes down to. Because that's you know that's the sort of relationship, it, it mirrors kind of that, you know, what you go through with your own family, I think can be said about, you know, those kinds of communities and, you know, that, that, that John Bond community is a big family. I mean, you look at like, um, you know, you, you just look at like how much people are willing to share. And I think that's really indicative. And, and you know what, at the end of the day, man, it, it I, and I shit you not I genuinely feel this it is one of the few things that that really restores my faith in humanity yep it really I, is and and I'm glad that games are a part of that and I'm I'm glad that you know these people are a part of that that is what's really for me truly powerful
0: i'm on the exact same page with yeah with everything going on in the world right now sometimes you get that email you get that message you're like man everything's okay like there are still good people out there and again like one last example of this i remember when like drew left giant bomb you know again if you're a fan of that you're like oh this you're happy for him but it like hurts because you're like i used to hearing from this person every single week and i I had him (laughs) on the 100th episode of this podcast. And it was, he'd never talked to me, but I almost immediately did like a, oh, it's like talking to an old friend, but he had no idea who I was. And that was the moment where I was like, okay, podcasting's weird, but it's super incredible. Um, <laughs> Jeff, where can people find you on social media? And what are you working on right now that you could talk about for CNET?
1: Oh, that's okay. Well, on social, uh, I'm only really, I'm not even good at Twitter, but that's the only <laughs> thing I do. So please follow me on Twitter. Uh, and it's just at Jeff Bacalar. Um, I'm doing a lot of cool new experimental video stuff for it. I, I published something a couple of weeks back on my on my feed that sort of uh, exemplifies what we're going for. We're doing a lot of we're trying out a lot of stuff and seeing what sticks. So very grateful for everyone uh, checking that out. And that's that's what I'm doing. We're you know we're. Still this is a busy part of the year. I don't have to sure tell anyone that's no yeah. secret. Uh Xbox 1X is going to get a review next week, so that's another thing that's going to be <laughs> it's going to be interesting to carry that across the finish line, see where see how that all shakes out. Oh
0: wait, do you have that review written yet?
1: I don't have it written oh, yet. Shit, because
0: this, this podcast doesn't go live for like another like ten days or so. I was like, I could totally hear this way early. We could put oh, an embargo could... technically without me publishing this.
1: Well, if it's gonna, so this is gonna post. Uh, after let me, the let me th- make sure. Let me make sure someone gets me trouble.
0: Uh, yeah. It's not next week. Next week is uh, Nick Scarfino. So it's it's uh, November sixth is when this is gonna go live.
1: Okay. Yeah. So the this will be after the embargo. Hundred um, percent. Yeah. I mean. You know, that's that's a console that's coming out. That's it's, uh, <laughs> that,
0: that, from a distance. I was talking to Mike Pactor about this too, I was like, I don't know, like who who is this for i, I, yeah. I don't really know because i don't think people care about power that much i think the switch and the the snes classic kind of prove that there's still a hunger for like games in general and not powerful games i don't know what the point of this thing is
1: right like aren't you envisioning like a, a boardroom somewhere where they're like but the switch it, look it's got nothing in there <laughs> it's just a few
0: hamster wheels and duct tape and that's like the the most bizarre part because i feel like early on with the ps4 and the xbox one the original like press conferences i was at that e3 some of it was about power and people still cared and i feel like no one at microsoft realized that people stopped caring and here's this you know kanye west all that power like song yeah. like, happening over with this and i'm like i don't think people give a fuck unless it's like twice as good looking but i don't think it is
1: yeah i mean if you have like specs of a computer in your signature on a message board somewhere you probably care <laughs> b- about this but um i mean look it's n- you can't argue it is a very powerful machine they've they've really done an impressive job of cramming hardware into a very small box it's also very heavy which mm-hmm. is kind of funny like it's almost 10 pounds this thing oh my god yeah it's insane but you know, like you said, who is this for? I think when the Pro came out, you had a much more compelling argument because there was even more than what Xbox is coming out with uh, at their launch with games that are going to support this. I mean, the PS4 Pro, was, it, was a, it was priced better, and they had kind of like evidence right out in front of you. Um, as of right now, we I only have Gears of War 4 that has Xbox One X support. Does it, does it look a lot better? Yeah, it looks good, but like, I don't know if you could tell the difference between that and Xbox One on a Uh, great 1080p TV from seven feet away. But that, but you know what? That's the story with the Pro 2. Like, I I don't want to, I don't want anyone to think that, like, you know, in the beginning, This wasn't as bonehead as it seemed for the pro because the pro was like, well, I guess if you don't have a PS4, this is the one to buy, but you are paying an upcharge and you do need a 4K TV to really appreciate it and all these other sort of caveats. And that's kind of the same thing that we're experiencing with Xbox One X with the asterisk being a, there's not a whole lot of games out of the gate and maybe in the foreseeable future where there's exclusives that are going to take advantage of this in a way that no one else will in, in the, in the landscape. And then B, yo, this is $500. God,
0: I keep forgetting that you could get an Xbox one S and a PlayStation four regular for $500. That's what I'm I'm saying. That's I I feel, I now feel justified for my hot take. Thank you. I was, I I was expecting this to somehow be like incredible. Then just get shit on by all the people who thought I was insane. But
1: I mean, I mean, look like, I'm not saying nobody should buy this thing. And again, I've only had it for, you know, a, a couple of days, but I think, you know, th- and again, I'll, I'll get more into when I actually start writing the review, but I think, you know, this will really be something that you probably don't need to get right away. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I can pretty much tell you that right now. Um, but yeah, you know, again, I think there are bigger problems in, in the Microsoft camp. Um, and, you know, this is a great piece of hardware, but, you know, you could have the best car in the world, but if there's not a road to drive it on, yep. you're just going to sit in the garage.
0: God, what a bummer. I still hope Microsoft does well. I, I, I like I game. hope,
1: I, that's my thing. I hope everyone does well.
0: Yeah, that's always my thing. Like, I, but again, Junior High Josiah was like team PlayStation, but now I'm just like, can everyone just please do well so that games keep being made
1: yeah, all the time? Everyone please. should win. Everyone yeah, should yeah, win.
0: that's you know what moral of the story everyone should win uh (laughs) jeff thanks so much for doing this i really do appreciate you taking the time and it wasn't i promise it wasn't just because i was trying to complete the giant beast cast puzzle i've wanted to talk to you for a while i really appreciate what you do and i am looking forward to actually reading your xbox one x review uh right before this podcast goes live
1: and i appreciate everything you do as well i listen to as many of your shows as i can that is the truth that is the truth um i uh I don't care that you just needed my interview to <laughs> to complete the beastcast achievement. You've on un- you've unlocked oh, it's
0: been that unlocked on my Xbox One X.
1: <laughs> Good for you. No, but seriously, I do mean that. I love what you do, and thank you so very much for having me.
0: Oh, you have no idea how much that means. I super appreciate it. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Hopefully, tune back in for the next episode of the Ten Ninety Nine.